Welcome back to the Eights and Vila podcast. I'm Adam Cohen alongside Ben Rossi. And Ben, it's the World Series, everyone's favorite time of the year. There's only three months of Major League Baseball this year. How good does it feel to be watching the Fall Classic right now? Oh, it just feels amazing. I mean, considering, like I said, I've said past weeks, considering where we were back in July, not even knowing a season would happen, and then now seeing this excitement of the World Series coming to life, even seeing some fans in the crowd has been a treat. I mean, and, and it's already been like the competitive series I anticipated it to be in my World Series preview for back sports page, and just it's just been great. So seeing the best come out of a lot of these players, so much class too throughout the series and i just think it's just a great moment that the world of baseball should cherish and will cherish for a while honestly i'm really happy these two teams are not only because i can rub it in henry's face a little bit who he thought it would be raised braves but also these two teams are so different and also they're just two juggernauts the rays have some of the lowest payroll if not the lowest payroll in all of baseball the dodgers are i believe the highest payroll or one of the highest and the Dodgers have big name players that they've signed or re-signed, such as Clayton Kershaw and Mookie Betts, while the Rays have rookies such as Randy Orozarena. So it's really cool to see both of them in it. The Dodgers are brand names. They have they have so much depth. They're, every player is amazing. The Rays are sneaky good. They'll be aggressive. They're really good at fielding. They have everyone and then some in the bullpen. So it's just a great matchup between these two teams. Oh yes, definitely phenomenal. And yeah, you, you, you said it right there. They're they're like built differently, very differently. I mean, Dodgers obviously they've given the big contracts to some of the big players, although they have developed a good amount of the players too. So I give them credit for that as well. But like the Rays, yeah, honestly, I mean the Rays, this whole money ball concept that like I've been obsessed with, or obviously as an A's fan that I've come to know all too well. It's just great that the Raves are able to really push it to the next level by actually taking it to the World Series and if they win it will be like I feel like it will finally be fully proven so that would be definitely a huge advantage of the Rays winning for sure. I may have mentioned this on the last Ace Vila podcast that we did but the Rays really seem like they're doing Moneyball 2.0 because they invented the shift they invented the opener and they're also using the same techniques where they're not focusing on getting washed up high pay players, not signing 10 year deals anywhere. They're trying to give players player friendly deal, like such as players, such as Brandon Lowe, who had two home runs in yesterday's victory. And they're trying to be relatively sound and smart with their money. And that's working out for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just shows that you can be frugal spenders. You can, you can build guys up on your team that doesn't need to be, be going after the large market free agents. And I think that's also, I just want to say that's going to be huge. I think for this off season too. And I wonder if that's going to impact how teams spend on free agents this off season. Cause already it's uncertain if teams are going to really want to spend on, on free agents. Cause there's already a lot of teams experiencing money issues this off season. But I think, but I think with what the Rays are proving that they can do without being big money spenders might even might influence teams even less to go after big high profile free agents. We might be heading into a different type of era of free agency in baseball. Quite possible. Honestly, that's a really good point because you can go either one of two ways. Because not every team has the luxury as the Dodgers or the Yankees where they can spend lavish amounts of money in free agency and also try to develop their own players because everyone knows that you can't just win championships by signing players in the market. You have to develop your own players too. 
but teams who don't have as much money, maybe like the Indians or the Brewers, just keep trying to develop talent, keep signing them to friendly deals, looking for high-powered arms in the draft who can help them out in the bullpen because relievers are not the most consistent fellas and not placing them in a specific role. That could definitely be a future model. But I do want to touch back on the point how these two teams come from different circumstances. And we can look back as far as the championship series because the Rays, for example, they were up 3-0 in the series. The Astros stormed back and tied up 3-3, only the second team ever come back from 3-0 and force a game seven. The other one, of course, being the 2004 Red Sox. The Rays ended up winning that game. And it was a pretty interesting game because Charlie Morton has now won three elimination games. And he's really turning to a big game postseason pitcher. And Nick Anderson struggled, uh, but he got through the outing. He's actually been struggling a lot because he gave up the Correa walk-off early in the series, gave the judge home run in ALDS game five, gave up a couple of runs in game seven, but Pete Fairbanks led the way, got a four-out save, and the Rays held on. And then the Dodgers, meanwhile, they were down 3-1. And everyone knows how Atlanta's a bit of a choker. People were joking about how the Atlanta Falcons blew a 28-3 lead and how the Braves also uh, blew a 2-0 lead in the 1996 World Series. So that was a wild game seven because Mookie Betts robbed a home run. The Braves had second and third with no one out, but they ground to a 5-2-5-6 double play. Kiki Hernandez hit a pinch hit home run, and Bellinger hit a go-ahead home run and he's really been struggling all season long. So just vastly different game sevens, vastly different contests, but here they are tied up one apiece in the World Series. Oh, yeah. No, it's been a, it's been one crazy path that each team has had to take there. I mean, they've both found themselves in peril at various moments, and they've just both managed to get out of peril and get out of gems. It just seems like both the, the two managers, it's the whole chess match, just World Series, as I call it, because, I mean, these are two managers who have who are just amazing with their strategy, how they push the right buttons at the right time. Dave Roberts bringing in bring, – Dave Roberts bringing Kike Hernandez to pinch hit. That was like a huge move. And then, of course, Kevin Cash making the right pitching moves at the right time and getting the Rays out of jams in both these series. So – it's it's definitely it's definitely been something special and it's like the teams took very different paths with the kind of games they won to get there but at the same time they sort of took similar paths with what they had to face even though they're very similarly built teams you're right both teams face their fair share of, of adversity both teams have so much depth like we talked about they have a plethora of brand name players or just really good players that continue to contribute almost every game in the throughout the playoffs and throughout the season. But I believe that game one seemed a bit more traditional, at least in the World Series, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, g- game one for sure was like just kind of one team looking dominant, which in this case was the Dodgers. And, and we kind of had the Donna starting pitching and it was yeah game one for sure because like obviously a lot of the playoffs a lot of the teams like you and Henry were touching on last week the long ball is something that teams are, are becoming increasingly dependent on that teams are increasingly winning increasingly winning on throughout the playoffs and while that was the case in game one that the Dodgers did get some long ball like they got the big home run from Cody 
Bellinger, and then of course Mookie Betts later in the game. They did have an inning. They did have the inning where they, it was, they they did have that one inning where they actually managed to score like four runs through small ball fashion in like the in like the fifth inning. So it just shows that the that the Dodgers were capable of doing both, and it was a good mix of like small ball and the long ball, and then kind of this like you said more traditional both starters actually going a few innings not just not not the use of like an opener or like needing the wide open bullpen and just yeah Clayton Kershaw being so dominant the most dominant I really remember seeing him in the postseason I just I I I definitely thought game one while it was kind of lopsided it was it was a great refresher to watch and just kind of remind me what the World Series is all about, breaking out stars like that. What did you think about game one? I'm really happy that you brought up the fact how the Dodgers won game one with small ball. Um, in addition to scoring a couple of runs not via the home run, which we didn't really see throughout the entire postseason, they also scored had three stolen bases in one inning, which has hardly happened in the World Series. And in a time where actually stolen bases are at an all-time low, it's really refreshing to see someone like Mookie Betts get free tacos for America for the second time. And then the Dodgers pulling off a double steal, Mookie Betts stealing third, which almost no one steals third nowadays. So that was really refreshing to see. And of course, Clayton Kershaw was the big storyline. He proved me wrong, actually, because back in our last show, it was right before game four. And I said, whoever... If Clayton Kershaw loses game four, the Dodgers will lose the NLCS. But the Dodgers were able to pull it around. Kershaw got a second chance, and he did not disappoint. Yeah, definitely. He was saying, I mean, after the game, he was just thankful for another opportunity. And he definitely he definitely proved it. I mean, although he got off to a little bit of a rough start, like he was saying in the first, his slider was struggling to to get in there he was maybe hanging his slider a little bit he eventually figured out and i mean his ability to be able to then combine that with his fastball and curveball just just made him an unhittable force and in a lot of ways kind of exposed some of the offensive woes that can be there in the raised batting order for sure the dodgers definitely have the edge offensively and the Rays. well they proved yesterday that they have players who can really jump out such as joey wendell such as brennan lau but overall, the Dodgers are, of course, a better offensively laden team. And Kershaw, just a lot of credit to him because he used to almost always be fastball in the low to mid-90s and curveball. But that slider, or really the slider cutter pitch that he has, that's really been his new bread and butter. And even though he was struggling the first inning, there were so many times where he threw to the right-handed raise hitters, these low and in sliders that they just could not hit or made a lot of weak contact on. And that's really his new pitch. I didn't see him uh, throwing as many curveballs as maybe he once used to. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, obviously, he also doesn't throw as hard as he used to, but he's just found such effective placement in the zones. I think he's starting to realize what parts of the zone were like parts that were, that he was laying hitters hit too much in the postseason. Because I, because for him, it's been all about location. But I think he's really starting to pick up his location. And and another thing was that was something Glass now kind of struggled with a little bit falling behind in counts and that was why glass now kind of struggled and eventually that got and eventually that's how the dodgers were able to get to him and but i mean but i mean i think that the big thing with the other big thing we saw game one the other big breakout is i mean i 
we've seen Mookie Betts in the past series, like do like his past amazingness, how he can how he can make amazing plays, his home run robbing catch in Game Seven of the NLCS, and we've just seen his different tools. But we saw more of his tools in Game One, like the fact that you like you were saying he stole two bases, just showed that he also has speed in addition to all these other tools he has. And then he reaffirmed his power by going opposite field on that home run. I mean, Mookie Betts is starting to look like one of the most all-around exciting players in the game. And I think his names definitely should be out there with Mike Trout. And I feel like the last few years it was a little bit overrated, partly because last year he was maybe underachieved a little bit compared to people, some people's standards. But I think Mookie Betts is definitely cementing his name in the legacy book for sure especially if he can win another title at this point, something that Trout has not been able to do. And there is a very, very controversial post on Twitter saying, I don't know about you guys, but Mookie Betts, he might be better than Mike Trout. And I still, of course, disagree with that, even though Trout had a bit of a down year in 2020. But I don't think Trout would have stolen two bases in the World Series if he got there. Not that he can't steal base anymore, but probably because his team doesn't want him to. And I think Betts is the type of guy to steal those bases, to rob home runs still. And I don't know if Trout would have the same capability or same level of clutchness in that regard. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, it's obviously I can't exact. It's hard to compare the two when you look at the teams they play for and everything. But yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, it's. I mean, I, I mean, it, they're not like perfectly cut out. But I will agree. I mean, I mean, what Mookie was able to do, how he just plays with so much high energy and everything and just he's so well disciplined about the game and in some ways who knows he's maybe even a little bit better disciplined than trout in certain aspects of the game some could argue so there's definitely the debate there definitely a valid debate there between him and trout i mean nonetheless both are great players to have in the game both are going to cement their legacy so i don't want to spend too much time debating the two of them Yeah, maybe we should move on to another aspect of Game 1, one that you mentioned a little bit, and that was Glasnow's effectiveness. And for those who haven't watched it, I don't know if you've watched it either, Ben, but if you follow um, Foolish Baseball on YouTube, great channel, great uh, analysis of different players, they think Glasnow is one of the nastiest pitchers in all of baseball because he can throw up to 101 miles per hour. He has an 85-mile-per-hour curveball, which is one of the hardest in the game. And he's only a two-pitch pitcher, but... It's really hard to be a guest hitter. It's actually actually not as hard to be a guest hitter, but it's really hard to, I guess, react against him because it's just so fast. And it's, there's such a, he has such uh, a pair of uh, speedy two pitches. So he's really difficult to face. But then again, he gave up six walks and four and two thirds innings pitched. The Dodgers played small ball against him. He has, he's a tall fella. He's six, eight. The Dodgers stole three bases off him in an inning. So, they're picking out his flaws and arguably the most talented race pitcher, which I find extremely impressive. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting. I mean, everyone thought that Glasnow would be the key for the Rays this series, but but then we had, but then it turns out that he actually was has not been like the the big stand on the Rays pitching rotation. It turns out Blake Snell, the second guy who a lot of people actually feel like were less hyped about. I don't know. He's kind of. I feel like he hasn't been as recognized as a name in the postseason but then he did so well going to going over to game two now so it's going to be interesting how the Rays decide to it's kind of going to shake up how the Rays decide to utilize their rotation 
option. But I mean, I definitely think obviously Glass now can bounce back and next year I'm sure he will get another start seeing how this series is going with my prediction of it going to a seven games. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it went seven games. There's actually been a seven game world series every single year since 2015. That was only a five game series. So I would not be surprised if this one goes a distance too, but more in Blake Snell He's the type of guy who won't really go the distance. He won't even really get to sit innings as often in the postseason. But he went four and two thirds. He had no hit. Had a no hitter before Chris Taylor's two run homer. He struck out nine batters, so he won't give you the distance, but he'll almost give you a good start every time out. And he's that effective because he throws ninety eight with a big looping curveball. Yeah, definitely. He's got that good mix of fastball and breaking ball, but. Yeah, like you were saying, he hasn't he he hasn't exactly gone the distance, but I think for sure he's he's a reliable enough star to have in the case of the World Series. And if, if not, I mean, there's always there's there's there's, ne there's never too many too many bullpen pitchers out there, so who knows? <laughs> of course, the Rays have so many good bullpen guys. Their big three, of course, is Diego Castillo, Pete Fairbanks and Nick Anderson, but they also have new guys such as Shane McClanahan, who's a rookie who made his debut in the playoffs, just the first pitcher ever to do that, and he throws about 100. You have Aaron Loop, who's a sidearm. You have John Curtis, who can give them a good deal of innings, so they have relievers left and right, and they're able to work the bullpen game better than almost anyone, especially the Dodgers, who heavily rely on Jansen, Trinan and Baez, maybe Kelly too. And they had to use a big, a lot of their bullpen in game two. I was actually really confused by their game two strategy because first of all, Tony Gosselin should not be starting anymore. He is, he should not be starting. He should be a longer lever. And then he used Dustin May again as well, which was strange. And they just used up so much of their bullpen. They stayed away from Trinan, Baez and Jansen, but it just seemed like a bit of a head scratcher is why they went that route. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I was actually wondering that too. And I was saying, I feel like the reason why I'm not too concerned about the Dodgers is they have a chance to turn that around. And I feel like this was one of their weak, definitely weaker matchups that they had going the, with the fact that they were, the fact that they were putting out Gonsolin just kind of was bound to, not be a great matchup, but I, I think that they actually, or I think they should have maybe put out someone like Dustin May or someone to, to start, to start it out for them. But I, but yeah, I was a little, I was a little bit skeptical as well about that. Also like Joe Kelly maybe came in a little bit early. I wasn't sure if they necessarily needed to use him when they were down. Cause I mean, they also, cause they also have the potential to use him as a closer, but then at the same time, I understand the move a little bit because it was giving that other great, reliever arm who they're planning to actually use as a starter in game five actually but jose arias it was good to give him some rest because he's been i mean he's a bullpen arm you want to have he's been he was super effective as you saw in the nlcs that's a fair point and as mentioned they did stay away from their big guys with the exception of joe kelly but it was very strange tony glasswin's been hit hard since the nlcs he's still very young at least Dustin May has that high-octane arm that they can probably ride out for a few innings, even though he hasn't been too, too effective as of late. So definitely probably the weakest matchup that we might see. And it was still a close game because 
the Dodgers were starting to hit on the Rays' bullpen a bit, and they were fighting their way back. But the Rays were victorious, and now the series is up one apiece. And by the way, for anyone watching at home, if you're interested in watching the World Series, you can watch all the games on Fox or just download the app as well. They have an 808 start time every single game. Games 3 to 5 from Friday to Sunday. Monday's a day off, and then Tuesday and Wednesday are games 6 and 7. And before we go into the next matchups, next pitching matchups from games 3 to 7 or projected pitching matchups, aren't you a little bit confused that they have day offs in the World Series when they didn't have them the rest of the series? I will say yes, because, I mean, that's obviously they're playing at the same stadium. There's no travel day, so it's like, what are you doing there? But, like, I don't don't know. I guess it's – I guess maybe it has to do with – it could have to do with, like, some of the tradition. I mean, there are always those traditionalist fans that kind of are used to that whole day thing, and they want to keep the tradition at least for the World Series and keep some, like – normalcy in the world series which it does it kind of feels like a little more normalcy because it does feel to me i mean at least like a little more normalcy in the world series given that we have in the same intervals that we always have now that we're going to have a day off after these first two games then games three four five in, in in a row and then day off after that before games six and seven so i don't i guess i understand the appeal for some normalcy and maybe there's a possibility that they that they want to reward the managers a little more because these players have really been grinding it out in these playoffs. But I am a I am a little bit shocked as well that they decide that if they're not traveling, they decide to just skip days like that. For those who do not know, each series before them, they had no rest, no off days because they're playing the same location. But just out of nowhere, they didn't even really explain it. They just announced the schedule, and there were these days off, and usually. It is a 2-3-2 format, like it is this year, and there are days off. But it is strange because it would be – I was actually kind of liking the format where they just played seven straight or just straight through, and that would have been interesting to see with these two teams because the Rays are very adaptable with their bullpen. They can handle bullpen days. Dodgers, as we saw yesterday, are unable to execute that well. So it's a little weird to see that, but maybe you're right, Ben. Maybe – it's because of all their hard work. Maybe it's because they're going back to the World Series. I do disagree a little bit about trying to help out the traditionalists, though, because baseball does not care as much as for the traditionalists as it used to because of the replay, because of the time constraints, because of the DH in, the, in both leagues this year, because of its span of playoffs, because of, let's see, runner and second base during our season. So I think baseball is moving away from traditionalism in that regard and i don't think that's the main reason why they decide to go this route yeah i don't know it's it's hard to say with that in terms of baseball moving from traditionalism the other thing is though i feel like baseball has been trying but in some ways failing to move from it because it's not like that i mean the big thing they've been trying is to shorten games but they haven't really been shortening games anyways and that's so that's kind of maintained the tradition but I know, but yeah, I know what you mean. Trying to break away from it, anyways, because like baseball has to find that like middle ground for like the people who like are used to seeing certain things, like the tra- like I was talking about the whole traditionalist baseball people, so they can still like to watch it. But then they need to also have, but they also need to like break from tradition to appeal more to this younger generation. So I I I, I do I do agree with you and see where you're going about the fact that it's not exactly about 
there's a, the traditional list there. And it is interesting, this middle ground that you're mentioning about for traditionalism with baseball, because they are kind of planning that for the 2021 season. For example, they're going back to the, they might be going back to the one lead D, uh, DH, because the AL is supposed to have the DH like they always do, and the NL is not, at least in these early talks. Additionally, Manfred wants to keep the expanded playoffs and the runner and second base rule. So it's weird why they're deciding one over the other, because I think a lot more people are happy about DHs in both leagues than a runner on second base or even expanded playoffs. I like expanded playoffs too, but runner on second base, that seemed to just make sense for 2020 because of all the games they had to play in a row and how quickly they had to do it and because of COVID and how intense COVID was really this season and hopefully not as much next season. So it felt really weird that they decided to go that route. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there. Like, I feel like DH doesn't really change up the game as much as people necessarily think having a universal DH. And I just think it has more positive than negative impact. So I'm really surprised that they're not going to keep that rule. And then expanded playoffs. I mean, I like you said, I kind of like that too. But at the same time, I, I don't know if it's necessary for the game of baseball given that we have such a long regular season like i mean compares to football and basketball you have those or even hockey you have those and all other major sports you have that extra round of the playoffs partly because the regular season's not as long so you need to continue to generate that revenue throughout the playoffs and baseball i mean it will it will definitely i mean it can't hurt to have another round to generate more tv revenue and things like that but it's interesting that he's so focused on keeping that rule in particular and i just really don't understand the appeal to keep the runner on second base not that it, it's interesting it hasn't made the most difference always in that rule at least in the games i've watched with the runner on second base but i just think it's it's i just think it's really interesting it's like we're bringing game of sandlot ball to the <laughs> i don't know game of sandlot ball with like really peculiar rules to the major leagues and it just seems like it's cutting and i feel like that's like cutting right through the, the way the game was invented like that's that's not only changing tradition that's like changing completely that's like almost changing completely the game i mean with having an inning start out with the bases empty like that's that's like a whole new concept i don't think anyone ever really saw saw coming <laughs> see that's the type of concept that you would see in little league or in maybe collegiately or so because for example sometimes you're playing back-to-back -back games at the same stadium so how do you you don't want the game to go on forever with kids who can't pitch so instead of running on second base start it off now professional baseball does not need that games don't go to the extra innings as often they don't go past the 10th inning as often or the 11th and so on and so forth so it's it's not it's not necessary and you can make the case for expanded playoffs. You can make the case for DHs, especially since the Rays, for example, have had so much success out of the number nine hole. American League already, of course, has a DH, but it just shows to show that when you get rid of the pitcher, there's a lot more offense, and everyone loves offense. That's where the game has really been heading towards, and that seems like that's a good way to go. Expanded playoffs, that will make for an interesting debate just because, well, teams such as the Cubs got not to have the playoffs by the Marlins team such as the Brewers should not have been in the playoffs but then the Astros almost went to the World Series so it's kind of nice and it's kind of bad it's a big give or take
Yeah, definitely. I mean, the other thing is baseball's going to, I mean, they're going to need to figure something out with that. I just have to, I feel like they need to get more of a player's perspective for this too. Cause I mean, the other thing people forget, we missed everything that's going on and all this and with COVID and everything. One people, people forget is that baseball's collective bargaining agreement is also expires next year. So I feel like there needs to be a, there needs to maybe be a more mutual talks going on between this players union, the commissioner in terms of what's, gonna happen or else i mean who knows we could we i mean there's always the possibility that we could be headed to another lockout if there isn't going to be those talks and negotiations i'm not saying it's going to happen but like i think there has to be more voice from people like the players union and we have to start having more productive talks than we had at the negotiations of this season starting like it's a miracle this season even really happened in a lot of ways I guarantee you baseball could have been played in May this year, even though that was towards the height of the pandemic and of course pandemic is still very much so going on. Everyone knew they could have happened in May or at least June, but they just kept stalling because of money and because of negotiating and it was just terrible. And I, it will be interesting to see because I wonder how much they'll talk about this off season, how intense it'll be, but certainly by next season when, it's coming to a close. There will be some big discussions. There could be a lockout, and it will be ugly. What we saw this year was likely just the start of an ugly battle, another ugly battle between the players and the owners. And while we're on the top of just getting away from the World Series a little bit too, or just the individual games that we will eventually get to, there are fans in the World Series, and there's over 11,000 of them, and tickets are already expensive for the World Series, but Ben, do you know how much the cheapest ticket costs for the World Series right now? You tell me. I looked online. I went to this random site called VividSeats.com. It's $571 for just the cheapest, most awful seat in the stadium. Wow. Right? Wow. I was thinking maybe a couple hundred dollars, maybe a bit of a discount because of COVID yeah. and people not not making as much money you're not having as much money but that's a huge amount i know it's a limited capacity but yeah, I mean, they're really reaping it in yeah you're basically char charging people extra to like <laughs> also put themselves at slightly higher risk it's like that's pretty unheard of to me <laughs> it's it's a little disgusting honestly i was not too happy to see that and I also am surprised that they're not hyping that up as much. Like the NFL, for example, they have fans in the stands. That's a big storyline. Baseball had that. Even the NLCS, and no one knew about it. They didn't say anything. There weren't any big articles on Bleacher Report or MLB.com saying that. It's just kind of there. You see that at the end of the MLB game day cast, and it's just at the end, and it says the attendance at the end of the game. And you slowly start to notice there's more fans in the cutout. So – it's weird how that's not more of a big storyline. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, especially, I feel like, I mean, I feel like the biggest fan storyline we've seen so far was that guy who made the catch into his chair last night <laughs> and lost his glove onto the field for Randy or Rosarina. I mean, thanks to that play, we actually finally, I feel like, did start getting some attention among the fans. But you're right. They're rarely showing many of the fans, not even like the players' families a whole lot. It's like, I just, it's like, they're, and they're, I mean, they're still showing some of the cardboard cutouts, but like <laughs> it's like they're not really marketing themselves well in terms of the the fans or like showing the people who are continuing to come out and support baseball. So I, I totally agree with you 
there that surprise and that like it's not like this big event one of the biggest championships in pro sports is not like getting the getting the attendance hype that it usually gets see i wonder if it's because it's a controversial issue to even have fans at the ball part because there were no fans until the nlcs there were no fans even the alcs too except for the friends and families and the workers of the stadium so maybe that's the reason why they're not hyping it up but if other sports are doing it and it's obviously noticeable when you just pay a little bit of attention to like what's going on in the backgrounds of the game it's too big of an issue not to talk about yeah for sure and i mean it definitely we have to also like talk about the the people the people's integrity too like wonder because i mean the other thing i wonder though is i, I do wonder about the integrity though of the people in the stands which could also be why they're not hyping them as much because i mean when i have seen the people in the stands that they've shown they're not wearing masks at least a lot of the people i've seen and although they are kind of distant in their sections they're not totally distant like i see a lot of people who don't necessarily look like the same particles to each other this could be me just speculating but i just think this thing with having fans and is still it's still a little bit questionable of like where this is going to go from here. You bring up a great point. And I think you're right. I think the guy who even threw his glove onto the field yesterday, I don't think he was wearing a mask. And I think there are some sections that are close together because they probably have these group tickets, which was very popular in the, in the Norfolk league this summer. They had group tickets that could sit near each other, but they had to be spaced out. They had to enforce masks. And we didn't see that where we haven't seen that as often. Is honestly, if they were showing people with masks in the stands, or even if people without masks in the stands, you just point to the point the camera to people who are actually following it, that could be huge. They could show, hey, we can play sports, we can have fans through a pandemic, which may not be the best idea, but that's of course what the major sports want to happen. <laughs> the A's actually kind of did that a little bit with like they, uh, well, they had one of the, uh, one of our sideline broadcasters, Dallas Braden. I mean, who was former, former pitcher, and now he's one of our sideline guys. He was he was distant from anyone in the stand, being one of the only people there, but he was still wearing a mask. So showing he, I mean, he's going to wear a mask when he doesn't necessarily need to. Or even Clint Frazier for the Yankees, he was wearing a mask throughout the entire game. I think a couple players, at least managers, uh, are are wearing masks even during the World Series. So that's good to see. Just helps spread awareness and all that. So focusing on that can only be a good thing, can only be a good sign of revenue, but just not showing it all seems like it's a fault, a lack of information, which is never a good thing. For sure. Uh, really to wrap it up, we should talk about what's expected over the next games in the series and what are the keys to watch for both teams. And we pretty much drew this list out, Ben and I, about starters. In game three, it'll be Bueller versus Morton. And Ben, I think that might be the best pitching matchup in the series. You have Bueller, who's already starting to turn into an ace after just a few years in the base. Charlie Morton coming off that big game seven win and just being turning into a big game pitcher. I think this will be the best of the best starting pitching-wise for these two teams. I agree. I think you got because you, I mean you got flamethrower and Bueller, someone with world with really good postseason experience who's cementing himself, like you said earlier, as one of the great postseason pitchers in Morton. I definitely I think if there's any game that's gonna be a pitching duel and that's gonna be a and that's gonna slow up either team's bats, this will be the one. If there's any pitching matchup that 
fans should get hyped for, this is going to be the one, or just any, or just anyone, even if you're a casual baseball fan, should get hyped for seeing great pitching. This game three is going to be the one. It almost kind of like makes me think of game one and how there is more, more than just home runs and more than just strikeouts. Of course, game one had that, but there were stolen bases. There was small ball. And that's what we might see again in game three because both teams have shown they can be aggressive, shown that the little plays can mean a lot. And maybe that will, maybe we'll see that in a close matchup like that. For sure, yeah. In game four, it will be uh, Julio Arias versus probably a bullpen day for the Rays. They don't have anyone announced, but Ryan Yarborough, or Ryan Yarborough, he just had 0.2 innings pitched the other day, and he should be set to go. He's a long reliever. I think the race plan should be Nick Anderson one inning because they want a high-profile reliever to open the game. Maybe like three innings of Yarborough, three innings of John Curtis, another long reliever, go to Castillo and Fairbanks, and that's the game plan. I would not be surprised that happens. And Arias... Well, he's been pitching at the bullpen for the most part, and he's been doing a great job. He's a sub-1 ERA in the playoffs right now, and he totally deserves this start, especially with the lack of really effective starting pitchers for the Dodgers in the World Series. But I don't think he's going to go more than five innings. I wouldn't be surprised if he only goes four innings. Dodgers have a quick leash, and then maybe go to Alex Wood, and then try to go their bait three of Trinan, Baez, and, of course, Jansen. That sounds like a good path. I mean, obviously it's going to come down to some of this. That game also is definitely going to be one game that comes down to like situational managing with which obviously both managers have been pushing the right buttons of in the postseason. I mean, they wouldn't be here in the world series if they hadn't been pushing the right buttons with their relievers, but yeah, in, in a game like that, the Rays certainly have the edge with their relievers and, but like, I mean, I mean, there are some bullpen woes too with the Rays. And if Urias, and who, who knows if Urias pitches like he did in that game seven against the Braves, I mean, game four is going to be an, another interesting matchup down. I can't really predict right now. He is fully rested. And in that game seven that you were talking about, he threw three innings to finish it off. And that was an incredible performance. He didn't even have any strikeouts, just nine up, nine down. It, it was really fascinating to watch because he's been a top prospect. He got derailed by injuries. He was seen as a starter of the future, then as reliever, then back to a starter. And then he found success in game seven. And no one knows what to expect from him in game four, of course, but it should be a fun matchup with him. But it could also very much be another bullpen day that we see that we saw in game two. And this could be for both sides this time around. Yeah, for sure. And then and then we're going to go into game five here, and that should be maybe a possibly a stark contrast because we know that both of these pitchers in game five, although Glass now obviously had a rough start, we know he's capable of going long innings. And Kershaw, obviously, he can he can like put up another stellar performance possibly, though I don't know if I necessarily see him putting up as stellar of a performance as the last game. That's pretty hard to top the kind of performance he put up last game. He gave up two hits through six innings. But yeah, that should be but I, I not I don't think the so I guess both are both those pitchers official for both teams? Like before when I saw the listing, I wasn't sure if the I I thought I only saw Kershaw listed as the official starter for that game five. Do you know? You're right. Yeah, Kershaw's the only listed there, but I imagine that because Glass now pitched in game one, he'll probably get to pitch in game five because he'll be five days rest, I believe. And 
it's a really great matchup because Kershaw needs to prove once again that he's over these postseason woes, that he can handle and win a championship finally, which will, of course, cement his legacy since the Dodgers have not won since 88. Now, Glass now, he wants to cement his legacy as, as a big game pitcher because he has not shown that throughout the playoffs that often, and he has the stuff to do it. So Kershaw needs to prove consistency. Glass now needs a bounce back, and this will be more traditional like we saw in game one. Yeah, for sure. And then, and then yeah, let's keep hopping over now. Game six. Now that's another game that might not be as traditional because it might be because like once again, the that's where the Dodgers have the toughest situation with what they're who they're going to use as a pitcher that's where it's good they might have to use Gonsolin again or maybe Dustin May and they'll probably be facing Blake Snell again for the Rays who you said doesn't go longing so that could be like game like game four game six could be another big bullpen battle but I, I don't know I'm, I, I personally would want to see Dustin May get the start they don't have other guys if the Dodgers need to use one of those guys at their disposal but I think, but I, I think I'm, but I think it will definitely, that one might not be as, that one will also require a lot of managing. Could prove me wrong. One of those pitchers though. I'm going to say something very controversial here. I think the only way the Dodgers win this world series, and I wouldn't be surprised if they win in seven, but I think the biggest way they can win this world series, if they can win in the five, because they have Bueller tomorrow, they, then they have Urias and then they have Kershaw. Those are their big three starting pitchers. If they go to Gonsolin and game sits or May, I don't see them winning that at all, especially if Snell and how good he's been in the postseason. Game seven could be a toss-up, but Morton seems to have the edge at the big game pitching, and I think both pitchers will be a little tired, and I think the Rays can prevail in that regard. All right, well, we will see if you're correct about that, Adam. I mean, I obviously have, predi have predicted in my article for Back Sports page, I have the Dodgers going through winning it in seven. I, I think that, like, they that, that they can, that they are capable of doing that, especially, especially seeing how Bueller's pitch this postseason. I'm not, I don't actually know if, like, Morton necessarily has an edge of Bueller. Obviously, they might be, they, they might, they might both be tired, but. I think it's possible. I mean, I think they might have just enough bullpen to be able to get them. The Dodgers might, even though they obviously have the weaker bullpen, I think they might have just enough of the bullpen. They obviously have a lot more offense. I think their big bats will finally show up and they'll show and they'll manufacture great runs in game seven. I mean, just look at the nationals last year. They weren't, I mean, they weren't the, I don't think they had the best bullpen necessarily fully. Like they were, they had some weaknesses in their bullpen, but they were able to like, exploit and come through in that game seven and beat the Astros in last year's world series. So it's, so I think it looks a little, I think, I think the Dodgers have a chance at winning it in seven games. Then again, I mean, but then again, I mean, they probably would feel more comfortable if they could win it in five for sure. <laughs> I think I, I don't doubt the Dodgers could win in seven, but I did want to be bold of that prediction of them winning at five, but if they do go to seven, I wouldn't be surprised if Julio Urias pitches in that one because he's pitching game four. We have four days off. It's not five like you'd want, but he's been so good this postseason. And getting back in the bullpen could help. They could go Bueller for five, then Urias for just one or two, and that could be enough to carry them over the hump. And especially in a game six, we're going to probably use almost all of their tier two or tier three relievers because they're going to have to go with a bullpen game. 
Yeah, for sure. But then you also got to look at the Dodgers bench. I do think the Dodgers, when it comes to the offensive side of the ball, they not only have the edge offensive statistics, but they seem to have more depth. And I think if Dave Roberts can exploit that depth and make good moves like he's done in other series, I'm liking the I'm liking the Dodgers' chances late. But then, yeah, when it comes to pushing the right bullpen buttons, if Kevin Cash can do that and just get enough get just enough clutch hits, then I I've then I would not be surprised to see the Rays running away with this series, especially late. I wouldn't be surprised either. And for the Rays, some of their key takeaways that needs to happen is they can't let the Dodgers get too familiar with the bullpen because Nick Hernandez and Diego Castillo have been hittable at times throughout the playoffs. Not as much so Pete Fairbanks, though. And if the Rays can, Rays should play their strengths. They should use other guys such as Aaron Loop or John Curtis and mitts and match as you Shane McClanahan, even though he's a rookie, he throws 100. So they should mitts and match because one of the reasons why the Astros came back in the ALCS is because they saw the Rays bullpen, they saw their latest relievers too many times out. So they need a lot of help from their starters. They need guys to keep producing, such as Joey Wendell, and hopefully Brandon Lau now, and I think they should be all right. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, this will be an exciting series nonetheless with what happens and i'm looking i'm looking forward to this game three on i'm and a little bit i'm actually a little bit torn that i have to wait a whole day till game three tomorrow night but it's a series it's definitely a series to watch for sure definitely and even with the dodgers we mentioned just how easily they can win this too and if they can continue to be aggressive like they were in game one stealing bases playing small ball, hitting the long ball when they need to as well, and of course, gain the most they can out of Kershaw, Bueller, and Urias. If they can do that, they should be able to win this series well. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I and I think, I mean, I think, they, I think the odds will definitely be with them in that favor if we're going to see them doing that, but it's still at this point up in the air of who's going to win this World Series for sure. It will be hopefully a close one, and definitely stay tuned for our update next week and when the World Series will be concluded. And we'll talk about the full World Series recap, the winner, of course, and also some award races because the gold gloves were just announced, but that won't be presented until November 3rd, so we'll get into that discussion as well. So thank you all for tuning in. Thank you, Ben, for hosting with me tonight. And until next time, this is the Eights of Viewer Podcast.